0: Well, everyone, and welcome back to Deconstructing the Bible. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the Associate Minister at The Well, United Methodist Church in Rosemont, Minnesota. We are in the midst of a series that we are calling Children's Stories Reimagined. Last week, I was joined by Lisa Adams from Forty Orchards, where we reimagined Eve's story from Genesis chapter 3, primarily. And today, we're going to be diving into the story of Cain and Abel, from Genesis chapter four. So if you grew up in the church, you are probably well aware of the story of Cain and Abel, and it is a fascinating one. And so we're going to dive into it. And in order to do so, I am being joined by a wonderful pastor from the Minneapolis, St. Paul area, Pastor Tyler Sitt. Tyler, welcome to Deconstructing the Bible.
1: So happy to be here.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about who is Tyler Sit. What should we know about you?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, Tyler said I use he/him pronouns. I'm the pastor of New City Church. Like you said, I um, started that community in 2017. We're going strong. I'm also the author of "Staying Awake: The Gospel for Change which is kind of a an introduction to Christianity for people who care about social justice. And lastly, I am a co-founder of Intersect, which is a co-planting network. It's an online Training platform and community for people who want to start churches, nonprofits, social movements, that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I'm so happy to be here. The Bible is kind of a a big deal. So (laughs) I'm glad to get into it. Man, you've got a lot of great
0: irons in the fire, a lot going on, and you do such wonderful work for uh, you, know, you know the United Methodists, the Minnesota Methodists, just so many different groups. And so thanks for all the work that you do and the way that you show up in community and, and for community. When I came on board uh, at the well and really started to move into Methodism, I was looking up local pastors, and, and you popped up, and I started looking at even the previous list of sermons that you and your church had been doing, and this was... Shortly after the um, horrific murder of George Floyd. And I noticed just even the titles of your sermons, you all were so invested in responding in that moment. I just thought it was so beautiful to see that as a, uh, as a new person in, in this denomination. I was so appreciative of the work you guys were doing and the way that you were engaging your community. So thanks for, for that work and, and for continuing
1: it. Uh, it's really, really encouraging. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thanks for that. Shout out. Um, new city meets like walking distance from George Floyd square. And we just kind of the leadership decided in that moment that if we're not responsive to the things, the international things that are happening literally next door, then we should probably just close up shop because Mm -hmm. God wants the gospel to be proclaimed in a context rich applied way. Yeah. I
0: love that. I love that. I love that idea that if the gospel doesn't actually have feet on the ground and, you know, impact on community, then what are we doing? And, uh, I I, I appreciate that. I I think that's the core of what Christ came to do was to, you know, not just make us all pious, but to, Mm. you know, kind of reclaim the soil, um, Mm, you know, mm, mm, that mm. gets all the way back to, okay, Jason. Yes. All right. right. (laughs) I love it. That brings us back to Genesis, which is the transition to Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter four. So Tyler, tell us a little bit about how you maybe first came about this story. Where did it, maybe was it introduced to you? What were some of the lessons that you, you know, originally were handed?
1: So when I was growing up, there are two, I remember as a kid that there were two takeaways about the Cain and Abel story. Whether or not this is what was taught to me, these are the things that I came away with. One was that God apparently is on a high protein diet and just does not care about vegetables. <laughs> like <laughs> seems like one of the key theological takeaways is that God gets pissed at you if you are only offering vegetables. So, <laughs> so um I, I remember just kind of being befuddled by that, or like, you know, what an awkward, what an awkward moment <laughs> in Genesis for us so to have to deal funny. with. Uh, So that was one of the takeaways as a kid. And then the other takeaway was, you know, I grew up, you know, in Methodist and there's that really strong Protestant core that emphasizes self-control and uh, piousness like you were talking about. And so there's that line in the Cain and Abel story where God kind of has a heart to heart with Cain that's like, hey, you really got to work on your anger. It's like getting ready to pounce on you. It's waiting at the door. And I just remember that line being lifted up as kind of an example of like a good Protestant is someone who really is disciplined and who really like has mastery over their own kind of life. And, you know, I think that in some ways that's really true and important. Like it is important that we take personal responsibility for our emotions. And I think that sometimes Protestantism emphasizes individualistic responsibility at the cost of looking at what this means for the community or how we can collectively move together. So um, yeah, that, for better, yeah. for worse, that, that was what Cain and Abel was used for. Yeah, oh, that's really insightful.
0: And and I think what you're pointing us to is something that I want to highlight as we are kind of moving through this series is that although we're calling these children's stories reconstructed and reimagined, it doesn't mean that we're throwing out everything that we learned at a younger age because like you're pointing out, Having personal responsibility and how to can maybe control your emotions—even that's a really healthy thing, especially when you're young and when you're older. I mean, how many people right. go to a sporting event and end up <laughs> not being very Christ-like, right? I mean, maybe there's a moment to take a take a take a Cain and Abel type approach to controlling your anger yes. at a referee or you know at the <laughs> other team's coach, and so those lessons are still good, right? But Part of what we're also wanting to do through this is to say, well, where did we maybe not go deep enough? Where could we maybe pull some other nuggets out that could teach us a more dynamic story? What if we didn't just read it literally, but also read it maybe kind of mystically? And what could that tell us about what's going on here? So there's lots of different ways that we can continue the conversation that was maybe started at a younger age for us. And for anyone that is maybe completely new to the Bible and completely new to, this story, let me just recap it very quickly. Cain and Abel are the first kind of two kids of Adam and Eve post coming out of the Garden of Eden. And they have grown up and one is a shepherd, one is a farmer. And the they both bring an offering to God. They bring a sacrifice, the kind of the first fruits potentially of what they have. And God looks at the older brother Cain's uh, offering of plant life and says, not good enough. He looks at the younger brother Abel's offering of kind of the firstborn of his flock and says, that's amazing. And that creates maybe some jealousy. We don't exactly know why Cain got angered by this, but he ends up being so disconnected that he ends up murdering his brother Abel. And then God confronts him and says, where's your brother? And Cain's response is, well, am I my brother's keeper? And there's kind of this non-answer from God. But he says, I hear your brother's blood crying out from the ground. And so, and then it's kind of, you know, it continues on from there with what happens with Cain. He gets marked so that no one will have, you know, vengeance upon him. Um, But that's kind of the story of Cain and Abel. And so, as you brought up, there's that question and God has for him like, hey, sin is like right outside the door for you. What are you going to do? And so, Tyler, what, um, maybe what areas of this story? have you kind of sat in the most or have you been processing the most as you've uh, kind of re-examined this story?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many good things in this story. I We could talk for way longer than we have here to, to, on just these little details. And I just want to re-emphasize something that you said about um, revisiting these stories is like the reason why these are stories and not just bulleted lists of moral things that we're supposed to remember is because stories are things that we can revisit and re-inhabit as community as our context continues to change. So um, so yeah, I, I hope that uh, you, the folks who are listening to this can continue to return to the Cain and Abel story and get something different each time. Um, something that really changed my perspective on this story is I, I studied a semester in Haifa, Israel, And I uh, spent some time with a rabbi there who um, taught about uh, kind of theology of Genesis and the theology, uh, you know, how we can understand community in Genesis. And his take I found very persuasive. Names are important in Genesis and actually throughout the entire Bible. Names have a lot of significance. And um, uh, one of the things that we lose in kind of reading the English translation is that we sometimes forget that these names like, actually mean something and aren't just kind of uh, nicknames or whatever. So Cain or Kayan means to um, obtain or to buy or to purchase and Abel or Havel is uh, related to the word for breath. Mm. And so one of the observations that this rabbi was making is um, here's kind of two paradigms of how to show up in the world there's this farmer who like you know i'm thinking of a little bit more related to like industrial farming than it is to organic farming as far as like there's a certain control over the land, a certain like I have the authority and the plants have to uh, obey my whim. And it's about control and domination. And that is uh, evidenced by Cain's name to obtain, to control, to dominate. And that's one way to approach the world. And then there's Abel or Havel uh, which, you know, is is uh, a little bit more about breath, about um, the spirit, about um, uh, being spiritually and religiously connect- connected and online. And uh, he was a shepherd. And I don't know if I've heard from shepherds that you can kind of like control where the sheep go, but they just kind of do what they're going to do. And they kind of the like, sheep. You know, <laughs> they're just sheep. Like that whole story about Jesus being like, yeah, so I leave the 99 to go find the one that just like went up to the rocks. That's because sheep wander and there's like a, a way that shepherds are responsible for sheep, but they have to release a certain measure of control in order to like be able to make it. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, you know, the young parents in my life have said very similar things. Not that children are sheep, but <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, this this kind of sense of if we're going to care for another living being if we're gonna care for a future. Like there's some things that we can control and there's some things that we kind of have to have breath about, have kind of yeah. this flex about. And these are two ways to show up in the world. The this co- distinction between like domination control, everything has to be my way, or uh breath, I, I'm letting things kind of be how they are while also still showing up to it. Mm. And specifically I think for you know the moment that we're in right now, this is something that men could really look at as a as a paradigm of understanding masculinity. Uh, I think a lot of us as men we're socialized to believe that we're doing something wrong unless we have complete control, complete domination over what our careers, our income, our future, our family, our bodies our our fitness, like all of uh, yeah. our possessions, our car like there's kind of this premium put on the version of masculinity that says um, if you don't have it all together, then you're doing something wrong. Right. You know, we'll see in the story how that goes. Right. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. there's Hubble, which I is, a, is another paradigm of masculinity, another invitation for men to show up to the world. That's mm-hmm. like, um, I have certain responsibilities and I, there are certain things that I um, care about and look over, but that isn't about domination or control. It's about, relationship and, uh, and letting things kind of be what they're going to be while also showing up and and showing care. And, uh, and I think that, I don't know, there's just a lot of men in my life who didn't get permission to show up that way to their work until, uh, you know, college or until later and until they started seeing a therapist because things weren't going so well. And I, I just think that the value of, of naming this as a children's story is that we can show kids that there are ways to be showing active energy without showing controlling energy is, mm. you know, there's a way to care for things without having it be so, so intense. So um, that's, that. that's something that I think is important for children and also just important for all people. But from my vantage point, I think that's an especially valuable lesson for men.
0: Oh, I, I love that. And I, I had not heard uh, that kind of take uh, or interpretation of what's going on in this story. And I, I really appreciate it. I love that you're diving into the names and how, and allowing those names to really shape how we might read this story. and And that's so true, you know, not just to what you were taught by this rabbi, but that's like a very traditional Jewish midrash way of, of diving into the text. And, and, and on this podcast, we've talked previously about how in the Hebrew language, there's only about four to 5,000 words as opposed to like the 40 to 50,000 English words that are out there. And so words take on multiple meanings for the sake of dialoguing, for the sake of wrestling within the text to say what's really going on in here. You know, cause it, Yeah, that is his name, but his name means something. I really appreciate that you're bringing us to a deeper understanding of who Cain and Abel may be and kind of the archetypes of who they are for us as people uh because for me when i grew up it was so easy to say well Cain kind of didn't give the be- like like the best stuff uh-huh. whereas Abel gave the first fruits of his flock and so uh-huh. what God desires of us is to give our best like what like what Abel did whereas Cain didn't give his best and and there may be a piece of that right because at one point in the story, God is gazing long like kind of dwelling on what Abel gives and doesn't do that with cain so there's a question about well, what did Cain give that God wasn't so enraptured by it, mm-hmm. so maybe there is a piece of that, and we can hold to yeah, God wants the best from all of us, um but also, maybe there's a way that Abel showed up in the world that just kind of i don 't know had this echo of the spirit, you know because And, and, and even his name, can you tell us again, what, what's, how do you, how did you translate the word, the name of Abel?
1: Havel is related to breath.
0: Okay. And, and I know there's a Hebrew word, which also means breath, right? And, and the spirit is connected to that. And so there's something about the, the connection to the divine within that. That's such a beautiful way of understanding how to show
1: up in the world. Yeah. 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 I love that. And Um, and I think you're right. Like, you know, a lot of these texts were, uh, communicated in illiterate societies. Like, you know, a lot of community would be engaging this text without necessarily reading directly onto the text and having names as a literary device to signify kind of the character of someone helped the community to understand the story. Mm,
0: That's really beautiful. And let's talk for a minute about Cain, because I think, uh, I think there's a, such a beauty to what we're learning about Abel and the way he shows up in the world and the posture that he has. But he's also kind of the secondary character in the story, mm-hmm. partly because his brother takes his life. But the interaction and the conversation that God has with Cain, I I think has been slightly misunderstood. Mm. Because I always saw, and I don't know if this was even told to me overtly or if it's what I just kind of picked up on, but I was always under the impression that there was something about Cain that was just a little off, and like, <laughs> it was, was kind of yeah. like his nature, you know. And yeah. maybe it is that, like, controlling personality or that that wanting to possess and to to kind of own and to to have control. But I always saw that is like that was like in him always. But the actual language of the text is that sin is crouching not in you, but just outside yeah. your door. That's good. What are you gonna do about it? And there's something dynamic about being human and not saying that my identity is the problem, but that there's something that is nearby that could throw me off course, that could move me away from community, that could disconnect me from, you know, serving and loving, you know, even someone that I might consider an enemy for a time or a brother, right? And so what am I gonna do about, about that? there as opposed to in
1: here Mm, that's a huge observation um just uh recently i preached on lowly worm theology and kind of that like calvinistic path of like uh, if, if we really understood what God was about, then we would see ourselves as lower than worms because of how evil humanity is. And it really emphasizes kind of the, um, the distance between us and God. And I think uh, I'm not a Calvinist. You know, I, I'm pretty Wesley and I'm, I'm, I pretty thoroughly believe in the Methodist theology that says um, we are created in the image of God and God's grace came to us even before we knew about God. And that's that prevenient grace theme and everything else that happens in the world, the evil that is obviously part of our society. Um, all of that is like, that can't be properly understood unless we first grasp the belovedness of, of who we are as yes. people. Yeah. And I think that that's that. Yeah. Like, I think that God was looking at Cain, like, hey, uh, I love you as a child. And that love means that you are so um, whole and complete and good. And like, as you grow up, there's gonna be some things that you need to really respond to and really think through from a place of belovedness. Otherwise we're gonna get all messed up. Like Cain invented murder for the sake of, you know, like no one had murdered before, Cain invented murder uh because of of him not really wrestling through the 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 sin that was crouching at the door we we see this again in in society over and over like the we create more and more evil the further we get from our own belovedness and the god who created us and um and and the tragedy of the story is is that a lot of times the most marginalized are responsible for paying the cost of, right. of folks not getting in touch with their beloved. So um, yeah, so I, I think that there's there's a lot of juicy things in here. I also just, to call out that last detail, when you were telling the story, I love that the soil cried out mm-hmm. to God. Um, I love that there was this sense of um, when we harm other people, when we invalidate their belovedness, like creation kind of keeps track of that. Mm. Like our, the the, yeah. the blood that is in in the soil cries out to God, and I think that's that you know how different would the founding of America be if we considered <laughs> the soil to be like a testimony against us? If if you know what would have happened to the Native Americans, all that stuff. So I yeah. I really I really love the role of the planet in this as well.
0: I love that, and and, and it begs the question: Do we listen mm. enough? <laughs> right because i keep thinking about watching the news yeah and sometimes i watch the news and it just hits deep and i'm like i feel an empathic moment of like oh that's so heartbreaking that that person lost their life or that situation is happening but probably the majority of the time i'm just watching the news and Yeah. I'm not resonating with the loss of life. I'm not resonating with the pain. I'm not empathizing with yeah. with what a family is experiencing. Honestly, the soil's not crying out for there to be change. It's just information that I'm scrolling through or that I'm just passively watching as I'm preparing for bed. And I think what we may be reading in this in this passage is that God is saying, Slow down and listen, slow yeah. down and listen because. Yes you're capable of a lot, you're capable of a lot, and a lot in a beautiful way, right? Offering beautiful gifts, you know, pulling forth, you know, food, you know, raising sheep, like you're capable of so much. I've given you every opportunity, every blessing to be a blessing, but also you have the power to be the worst curse on the planet. right? And yeah. if you don't stop and listen. And and the other thing about this story that I think is really fascinating, and, and we don't really focus on it, is that we kind of see this as a singular moment. Like this was this was the moment, right?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: what we don't realize is that God and Cain have this moment. And there's no reason to believe that Cain couldn't try again next season with a new offering. Right? right? Like maybe the offering right. wasn't great. You know, maybe it's not what right. God wanted. Well, why couldn't Cain try again? Why couldn't yeah. Cain sit down and be like, you know what, God, what did Abel do that I didn't do you know what what could have I offered that would have you know tickled your fancy in the same way that mm. those sheep did you know like did did I did I offer you barley but you wanted wheat? did I offer you wheat when you wanted the grapes from mm. the vine like you know what is it that I could have done to really show the love that I have for you and being a part of this community you know where was that dialogue and 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 we don't get the sense that God wasn't open to it because God engaged the conversation. <laughs> God came to Cain and said, Hey, buddy, be careful. Right. And instead of being careful, Cain isolates, disconnects, and then has this, you know, lets his anger get the best of him, And, mm, and like mm, you said, mm. he, he commits murder. And so there's, there's so much to draw from this story. And I think there's so many themes that are applicable right now that we've, we've kind of hit on. Tyler, do you have any other, like, unique highlights or anything that you want to like draw us back to that maybe we've touched on that. You just really want us to make sure we sit with um, no pun intended for your last name. Um, <laughs> yeah, <right>? is, there, <laughs> is there anything that you just really want us to like, hold on to as we are kind of closing out this conversation on Cain and Abel?
1: I mean, just to riff off of what you just said, I think. Um, the fact that Cain didn't believe that he deserved a second chance is Evidence that he is not grounded in his belovedness. Mm. like if if Cain really knew the extent that God loved him, if Cain really understood God's grace, then he would have uh, tried a thousand times, you know <laughs> like he, right. and, and he would have been able to do that with the confidence of a child of God. And I think one of the I mean just to, to apply this contemporarily, one of the real obstacles to justice that we see in our society, is this collapse response that's like if i mess up once then whatever i don't want to be a part of this at all and that there's kind of this like yeah, i have to be perfect and if anyone calls me out even once i'm taking my game and i'm going home and i think that's a that's a real evidence that um we, we're not truly grasping the love of god because the love of god through the cross and resurrection, we're seeing like, hey, I'm going to give you second tries, third tries, seventh tries, hundreds. Right, time. but right. just keep showing up to the work, keep, you know, like really proactively look for the sin crouching at your door and try and try and try, um, because that's that's the only path towards wholeness. Uh, yeah. That's the only path towards uh, our society being rid of the violence and oppression that we're seeing. Yeah, and, uh, and 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 the fact that I never thought about this before this podcast, but the fact that Cain wasn't able to grasp that is probably trying to show us kind of the evidence of, of what's going yeah. on internally for him.
0: Right. And these early stories do such a dynamic job of kind of helping us understand what it means to be human, because as much as I would love to imagine being an Abel, I mm. probably am more of a Cain. And yeah. until I started really diving into this story, I never thought that I always imagined myself being the the good you know kind of I do the I work hard I do the best God loves me I'm an able but really I'm kind of a cane you know <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I try, and yeah. I probably fail and when I fail, what next right yeah. what's the next thing that happens and too often it's it's unhealthy, sometimes it's healthy, but the question is, how are we gonna be canes in the world? Are we gonna be a cane that moves towards being an able or are we gonna be a cane that doesn't see the belovedness? And if I could highlight a book that I think really does a beautiful job of this, um, Oshita Moore, who's a pastor in the yeah. Twin Cities, wrote a wonderful book called Dear White Peacemakers. And she grounds that book in the belovedness of God As the beginning of justice work as the beginning of reconciliation and that that concept that you're highlighting and that she highlights in that book is so fundamental to being a a follower of Christ being someone that is about reconciliation and love in our world and wants to see better relationships better systems. And, and better ways of relating to one another. And so if I could if I could encourage a book, it would be that. If I could encourage anyone to keep connecting to your work, I would. So Tyler, tell us a little bit about how people can find what you're doing out there. Remind us of the name of the book that you that you've authored.
1: <laughs> sure. So um, I'm nowadays with algorithm wildness. I'm not too active on, on social media, but I am on Facebook and on Instagram Tyler sit at Tyler sitt. Uh, you can find more information about me at TylerSit.com. And the book that I authored is called Staying Awake, the Gospel for Change Makers."
0: Very cool. Well, we will put links to a bunch of this in the show notes for this podcast. And Tyler, thank you so much for joining uh, me on Deconstructing the Bible. It was a pleasure. Um, and you've, you've really helped us dive deeply into this passage, reimagining and reconstructing the Cain and Abel story. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me. God bless you all.